Welcome to the Form Guide. This week we're chatting with Mark Rowland, CEO of the Mental Health Foundation, and we're going to be talking about the theme for Mental Health Awareness Week of getting out into nature and the environment. Check it out. Thank you. So, Mark Rowland, welcome to the Form Guide. We are live on LinkedIn. Great to have you here. How are you doing? It's great to be here, Rob. Thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, I thought you were going to quiz me. I thought you were going to quiz me on my music knowledge, which is, which is not great. So that was an 80s uh, classic, yeah. Together in Electric Dreams by yeah. Philip Oakley and uh, Giorgio Moroder. Um, so I'm putting together this kind of playlist of 80s tracks that I welcome guests to. And I'm going to get my DJ alter ego, Dr. Mood Swing, to mix them up uh, to a little DJ mix once we've got about 20 guests on. So we're, we're almost there. We're 15. You're our 15th guest of the year, which is amazing, actually. It's been a good journey. So you are the CEO of the Mental Health Foundation, um, and I'm keen to understand a lot more about the great work that the charity does and, uh, you know, your personal interest in kind of mental health and well-being. But we can start off with with a question, and that's the question I always ask all of my guests. And um, that question is, how are you today um, with a score out of 10 and the form score? So I'm, a, I've, I'm transitioning up today. I started at a six. And I'm now a seven out of 10. I'm delighted to be here with you, Mark. But um, what's your score today? How are you today? I would give myself a, I would say an eight out of 10, Rob. Um, and I had a great weekend and um, have been thinking really a lot about how to increase the active experience of, of peace and joy in my life and, and um, had a lot of time over the weekend to just sort of think and relax and think through a few things and uh, it's, it, 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 feels, it feels like it's paying dividend to have some separation between all the things we're worried about and how, uh, how that affects me and, um, and just, just recognising that who I am is not necessarily the same as um, the outcome of all those problems and worries. You know, I can stand a little bit separate from that. And that, for me, is feeling liberating right now. So, yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, fantastic. And and you're right. We uh, can often associate ourselves with things that we're concerned about, particularly when there are so many things to be concerned about in the world. Um, but I also like what I'm hearing there, and I like the idea of that space that you've given yourself, the kind of gift of space over the weekend and the gift of, of time to reflect and sort of decompress, I guess, from everything going on. Right. And I think it's just it is so important. And, and you know, that score is good today but it hasn't been good all the way through the pandemic and I, I think part of that is just a recognition that for me I have seen a slow ebbing away of of energy and vitality which is normal and natural and and um and as you say less of a gap more of an attachment sort of a grasping things must be this way I must solve that I must prove this and some Letting go of that to me is so important for me being grounded and 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 calmer and and so yeah that that's really been a lesson for me and not not something I've always been doing well but something that is making a difference at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And um, kind of a point resonated with me there. I mean, you're obviously a, a campaigner, you're CEO of a charity that is looking to affect positive change uh, where mental health is concerned and. 
I've had these conversations with other people that are very purpose-driven about their passion. I remember vividly talking to Shireen Daniels, who's one of the UK's leading anti-racism campaigners in the workplace. And you know, when we are so passionate about a cause, sometimes that can take it over a little bit, can't it? And and cause us to compromise our own well-being because of how driven and passionate we are. Do you experience that at all? Oh, you know, I think it's a real risk. I think it's. I often say in the office, you know, Nietzsche said that beware lest in slaying the dragon you become the dragon. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there is no guarantee that those of us who profess to be on the side of progress will necessarily. Uh, achieve that if we aren't building in space for reflection and self-awareness and coming in and what the what what the struggle for social progress often does is it forces you often into the future what do we want to achieve where do we want to get to and that is at odds with how we can be really present right now living wholeheartedly with 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 who we are and I think that's a particular challenge for me is is how can I commit myself to being just here with you offering what I have got right now rather than somewhere in the future yeah. or yeah. digging myself out for something that happened in the past. I think it's, um, and we'll come on to talking uh, about nature, but that's one of the things that nature's gifts do give us is that real ability and place to experience that sort of grounding which um I, I think is is a sort of it just vital i think for um for our well-being yeah it's really interesting i i think i was talking to somebody about um dr marcus runny uh, about this this morning and we were talking about the journey you know or the um you know the path that we're on and often we we have a destination in mind and and we have goals in mind which could be making change in the world um, and yet, actually, the only place that we're ever on is on the journey. We're never at the destination because the destination always moves along. And if we're always trying to be there, we forget that we're here and we're not in the moment. And we've got to relish the journey as well as what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's my that's my challenge as well. And um, we, you know, uh, there is just a real. The, Everything around us and, and actually organisational lives uh, push us towards um, escaping from the present moment mm -hmm. and also just just being a slave to the, what the ego needs. The ego needs to be fed status. It needs to be fed success. It needs to be fed identity that is, is either pushing us towards uh, demonstrating that we're valuable in the world or, or expressing our our inadequacy or, or, or getting trapped in in our sense of victimhood and that both those things can deplete us from really experiencing that state of groundedness and um, organizations aren't actually built with the present moment in mind and I think that means that quite often that workplaces that I'm involved in and, and, and others can be sources of of stress and I think that's that's a separate conversation but it's it's a really it's a really important one for uh, I think how we get the best out of uh, out of our teams uh, and out of ourselves yeah definitely definitely um, I'm reading well I'm listening to uh, uh, an audiobook uh, which is the the memoir of Matthew McConaughey the uh, the, the actor mm -hmm. um, 
and he talks about this sort of just had this strong desire to discover the amazon and and was trekking through peru and you know was always focused on this goal of, of getting to the to, to the river amazon um and you know ultimately just sort of let go of that went for a walk and 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 saw this just beautiful scene of butterflies that there was just thousands of butterflies and then once they he was really in the moment for the first time on the trip because he was just looking at these butterflies and then they kind of lifted and then there was the amazon and they'd found what he was seeking and it was just this this imagery of being in the moment with those butterflies i thought were very powerful mm. um, so look we're going to do the quick fire round mark this is nothing i've asked you to prepare for um so it's first thing that comes into your head but if mental health were a and i'm going to give you a thing what would it be and so let's see what you come up with so if mental health were an animal Animal, what would it be for you, Mark? If mental health were an animal, I think uh, the first thing that comes into my mind is a spider, <laughs> which, or maybe um, a spider's web, um, because of the, 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 the different connections that make up who we are and what leads to both experiences of poor mental health and good mental health. But uh, a spider then... It, it, it is itself not very attractive animal, but um, it's it's it, it's an animal with, with what is it six legs? Yeah. Um, so I think at the, the point I think I'm just trying to make is that um, mental health is multifaceted yeah. and fascinating yeah. and important for that. It's not um, just one thing, and, yeah. and that complexity makes it fascinating. Uh, and uh, and also um, something to be to be constantly explored and be curious about. Yeah, I love that. I think spiders are as eight legs. It's insects with six, isn't it? I'm not quite sure. I'm sure, someone on the chat, <laughs> someone in the chat, will let us know. But I, I love that. I love this idea because the spider is also you know that the the patience of the spider, the quietness and then can spring into action um, as an element of danger to to some spiders um, and um, but there's a real element of care and I don't know if you've ever seen a, a spider sort of uh, care for for its young um, and then obviously gets often gets devoured by the young um, but there's this you know kind of you know this collective care as well which is amazing right. um, so I like that the mental health spider well, the first time we've had that one I think I think I think also I mean spiders are, are tremendously misunderstood. There's a big stigma around spiders, and yeah. they are associated with neg you know, negative things. And mental health in its history has always been shrouded in in mystery for too long, and and carries a fear for a lot of people. Um, and and that needs to be um, to reframed and yeah. re-understood for its yeah. uh, for its beauty and its promise. I love it, Mark. You're good at this. I can't wait to see what you come up with next. So um, I think I know what you're going to say on this one. But if mental health were a colour, what would it be? Green. Green. <laughs> we're going to go with that. I'm glad I got that one right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously the colour of mental health awareness and the green ribbon that I can see you uh, sporting proudly there. Um, and, and green's quite a popular colour for, uh, you know, when I ask this question, actually, because I think there's also connotations of um, spring and growth um, and stuff like that. So green, green, a strong colour. It's, um, also my, it's also my father's favourite colour. He always said as we were growing up, green is his favourite colour. So um, that works for me. Yeah. OK. So if mental health were a food, Mark, what would it be? I, again, I, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with tapas. You know, something that we are 
which certainly if you come from the UK, um, you may not always be familiar with. It might be something you might not always uh, be uh, comfortable. It's, it's, it's a food to share. Yeah. Um, and it comes in many little dishes. And it is the combination of the, uh, the different culinary dishes that make tapas so great. Um, yeah. and, and I think um, everybody has a different combination of tapas dishes that makes their tapas unique to them. Yeah. And makes that meal um, something that is uh, nutritious and um, uh, fulfilling. So, yeah, I, I think one of my favourite restaurants in in London is the Don Felipe in the cut mm. and it, it serves tapas. I love it. There, you're on little stools, there's a little man playing a guitar in the corner. Uh, and every time you go there, you have a different meal. Um, but the concept's always the same of curating your own. Yeah. Little, I think that's really interesting. You're right. The different elements, they're always they're always different. It's always changing. It's not fixed. Our mental health is always evolving um, uh, and never fixed. Uh, brilliant. I, I love this. So, Mark, if mental health were a song, what comes to mind? Oh, if mental health were a song, I would, I mean, I don't know what other people have said, but I would just, the first thing that came into my mind, Rob, was around, it would be a love ballad. Mm-hmm. It would be about a, it's about how we connect with our emotions uh, and how we make our souls fly and, and how we come fundamentally to accept and love who we are yeah. uh, and accept and love uh, others in, 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 in our lives. And um, it's a high goal, but um, that's what ballads do for me. Yeah. But I was take me to a place where I'm sort of swept off. I, mean, I am I definitely, I need it. I need it to, I need ballads to connect with my emotions because I, mean, I sort of seem to yeah. fit between being not that sentimental and then horribly gushing. Um, and, um, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think the whole subject of mental health is one that I think connects us to the reality of our inner lives and, yeah. and ballads do that for me. Yeah. And, and does a, is there a particular ballad that is springing to mind, Mark, that, that, that comes to the top of your head as when you when you reflect on this? Um, I, I'm really terrible at, at re- remembering artists, but you, I think I think it is Elton John's Your Song. Oh, yeah. That's that yeah. that is um, one that, that always always gets me is was played at my my wedding. And I heard it as I, as um, I went out this weekend for the first time, I had a little bit of a drive. Um, and that and that came on and I was in in a really um, swept away for a few moments yeah, listening yeah. to listening to your song Thanks. so yeah, excuse me for being a soppy so-and-so but no um, no a good, a good romantic we, we love it we absolutely love it so uh, you're, it, it is a great piece of music that um, fabulous and, and and what a um, yeah a nice image there okay a couple more for you if mental health were a holiday destination where would it be Mark? Whew. holiday destination well, so I mean, somewhere, somewhere expansive, um, or inspiring, and um, uh, somewhere where we get uh, perspective on our lives. So I would, you know, there are places I would love. You mentioned the Amazon, um, but so, some sort of uh, wilderness destination, you know, somewhere in somewhere in Alaska or Patagonia or mm. the, the sort of Norwegian fields or somewhere like, somewhere like that that inspires um, 
us to reflect on and who we are and, and our place in the world. Yeah, I, I love that sort of big vistas. I've spent a bit of time in Patagonia, and um, yes, it's amazing. And and the, the thing that I always remember about it is the light. It just has a different quality of light that is just epic. Um, and you know, I, again, I was in a very different place when I was there, but I'd love to go back and just to have that period of reflection that you're you're talking about. So very good. Um, okay, last one for you. And you, this is brilliant, Mark. You're doing really, so well on this. Um, uh, if mental health were a sound, what sound comes to mind? I think the thing that pops into my my head again, Rob, is um, the sound of the sound of the breeze, the sound of the wind, the gentle rustling. The um, uh, the, the men, mental health is often. Uh, uh, is often an ever-present. It ebbs and flows. It changes. It changes daily, sometimes weekly. And understanding where that wind is coming from or how it's affecting our lives, I think, is, is really important. And um, the wind can be refreshing. It can give us solace. It can give us... Um, um, it, it can be at our back, pushing us forward. And it can be in our face, holding us back. Uh, it can be destructive. Um, and uh, it can also be protective. So, um, the, but I suppose that it's, you're talk, you know, it's, I, the sound, is that, that's a slightly different analogy in terms of the wind, but I think um, I, um, again, one of the things, I love connecting with, with um, the, the sound of nature is often, yeah. Is, is, is often related to what's happening with, with the wind um, yeah. and, and how it affects and interacts with the physical world. Yeah, fantastic. So I'm going to try and put paint a scene for you and put all these together. So I think we are in the, the Amazon rainforest. There's green everywhere that you would get okay. in, that, in that jungle. Um, we can hear you know, a, a steady breeze coming through the trees and, and you know, we're listening to the sounds of, of, of how that's interacting with the different shapes of, of leaves. Um, in, in the background, far away, we can hear the, the, the sound of Elton John singing that, that, that very song. Um, and we know that we've got, um, you know, a real variety of tapas that has been prepared for us to, uh, to enjoy a meal together. So that's the scene of your, your quick fire round that I've con conducted in my head there. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, <laughs> so thanks, thanks for doing that, Mark. Um, so we broadly this 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 discussion we're going to focus on um, the work of the Mental Health Foundation, Mental Health Awareness Week, and the theme for for this year, which is nature and the environment, and keen to to understand a little bit more about that. But first of all, let's talk about you a little bit, Mark. Talk talk me through why you're so passionate about the mental health agenda, and you know, has has led you to this career that you have now. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I um, I spent most of my life in a um, working life, at least. I, I was raised in Central Africa um, by missionary parents, Rob, and um, that's uh, that's where I, I, I grew up and went to school. Yeah. Um, and I came through and graduated uh, and went into international development um, with the NGOs often being the sort of the people who the, the missionaries handed the baton on to um, in terms of, 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 of working with local communities. And I, I really enjoyed that work for, uh, for many years and worked with Christian Aid and worked also abroad and with uh, voluntary service overseas. And um, 
but about six years ago, um, we had a, a family tragedy and um, my older brother, who had been um, a, just a wonderful brother and, and, and mentor for me, um, and had lived with depression for many years, went into a particularly acute depressive episode. And um, he, it was, um, he, he was admitted into hospital and, and he never recovered. And, and I think, in, in fact, he did recover slightly, but only enough um, to have uh, the energy to then make an attempt on his own life, which um, put him into a coma, which he didn't recover from. And that was um, just a, a shattering blow, defining moment for um, our family and, and so many people who, who go through the experience of suicide. Um, and he left behind his wife and two young children. And so that um, that, that was... Uh, that that will never you know that will never leave leave me and that experience did prompt me to ask the question I, I was so focused on um, reducing the poverty of our physical lives um, but I thought well what what real value is that unless we're really attending to uh, the poverty of our inner lives now of course the two are definitely connected but it did did lead on to what was I think already an interest in in um, issues around psychology, uh, mental health, spirituality, and um, found myself working and getting a job at the Mental Health Foundation, um, which was uh, just over five years ago. Wow. Well, um, I've heard your story before, but thank you for sharing it again. I, I remain sorry for your loss, um, but thank you for being so open about it. And, um, and, and, and also for... For, for being inspired by that loss to then go and make positive change in the world to to help others and, and thank you for all you do um, in, in doing that. Um, I'm keen to understand a little bit more and, and share a bit more about the work of the uh, the Mental Health Foundation and I've got to know some of your team over the last couple of years but can you give us an overview of kind of what the what the foundation's all about? Sure we've been around for 70 years it's a legacy organisation set up by a guy called Derek Richter um, just after the war, who was very concerned about uh, that he was a, uh, a neurologist and he was very concerned about the, uh, sorry, neurochemist he was, and um, saw that there was huge sums going into research into physical illness, but hardly anything into mental health. Um, and he wanted to uh, address that. And he also had a vision for, he, he saw that, the way in which um, people who experienced mental ill health were being treated was uh, degrading so often, dehumanizing, shrouded in stigma, as we were saying earlier. Um, and so um, was always on the front end of trying to bring um, humanity and, uh, and progressive ideals around patient choice into, into understandings of how we respond to people who, who, who go through periods of poor mental health. So. Um, we've we the work has changed and, and evolved, um, but we do basically four things uh, focused on uh, prevention and promotion of good mental health. Um, the the first is we we work in communities with at risk groups to see what what will work to support people's mental health, whether that's with prisoners or single mums or refugee communities. So really working with targeted interventions. Um, that can move the needle in terms of reducing risk, um, but really applied in communities. Uh, we have uh, research teams across the UK 
which provide the evidence and which is the petrol in our tank. And that's all the res our research and knowledge generation has always been a big part of what the foundation has stood for. Um, we try to also use that to turn it into a policy agenda that shapes public policy around mental health and shaping a mentally healthy society. And then finally, we do a lot on uh, uh, public engagement and uh, running Mental Health Awareness Week since 2001 and trying to, along with many others, uh, keep mental health in the public discourse. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And um, I think really interesting sort of in the differences in those pillars that you know from from the, the the targeted interventions i've seen the output of some of the the research that you guys do which is great um and, and then mental health awareness week which we're all kind of familiar with and what, what was the history behind that you mentioned is it 2001 you said um that it was introduced yeah and i think the at the time um there was there hadn't been a a national mental health uh, campaign or, or um, there, I, I don't think World Mental Health Day had been established by then either. And so it was a rel relatively novel idea to have a given wink where we try to open up questions about mental health, what affects it, how we can protect it, support mental health, but uh, and reduce stigma. And, um, and since then, we've seen big campaigns, um, including Time to Change, um, see me in Scotland um, that have done a lot on, on uh, challenging stigma and opening up the conversation on mental health uh, and we've turned Mental Health Awareness Week into uh, something that is open for uh, us all to have a conversation and, and focus on mental health. We choose a theme every year and every year it, it grows and it's now the, the, the biggest awareness week in the world and that's not you know that's that's partly controlled by us or generated by us but mostly now it's got into the sort of public consciousness all the, the the sort of public diaries everybody knows about the week they have the dates so we just make sure we confirm when it is and what the theme is like the blue touch paper and then communities up and down the country families uh, councils organizations workplaces uh, take it and adapt it and um, have it an opportunity to um engage with the week and it's really inspiring to see what people do with it yeah yeah fantastic and you know i, I i'm a big fan um and and, and it provides me a, a springboard for springboard for conversations that i think then happen throughout the year um you know i, I hate to see those posts where people say um you know which is true we have mental health 365 days of the year not just during mental health awareness week and, and i agree with that sentiment but actually that's not the point is it it's it's about creating some momentum that then continues the conversation um in the months to come and i think for me it's really important that we use these the mental health awareness week to do that that's right and we we have toyed with the idea of calling it mental health action week because we you know we've also heard the critique that that um it's not enough to talk it's not enough to just uh share experiences it needs to lead to positive change and that's a really big focus for, for the week and we always try to bring through some of the uh, policy recommendations and actually what we found is that uh, for example two years ago we took up the issue of body image which was a bit more of a, a niche and how our view of our own bodies affects our mental health but it's been something that we've continued uh, to run with and we've seen uh, government commissions being 
established and, and new guidelines for social media companies put in place and, and some uh, and, and some commercial companies put in uh, revised guidelines around advertising. So we, you know, it isn't just about having uh, a week and then stopping. It, it, it is a really about a springboard, as you say, for driving change towards a society which protects and supports mental health. And, and this is just a, a window to, 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 to as a sort of incubator and accelerator for, for some of those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really keen to understand you know, how the theme is selected. Um, you know, if we can just sort of peer behind the curtains a little bit, Mark. You know, what's the sort of process you guys go through um, in, in thinking? You know, how we're going to establish the the theme for the week? Yeah, well, it's really evolved. It used to just be um, a couple of people meeting in a room and thinking, what, you know, what, what do we think would be a good idea? I mean, this year, as you say, actually, the the, the focus is on uh, nature and how we connect with nature. Um, there were probably there were two or three things this year that were very important. One, one was we tried to root it in the evidence. We've been running a study on the pandemic all the way through from right before lockdown. And consistently, when we ask people, what are the ways that have been most important for coping with your with the pandemic and supporting your mental health? Access to green spaces, walks outside recited in in the top three, top two, top one for, yeah. for, for, for many people. Uh, so we knew that that was a big hack. So we try to look at what's the existing evidence base. We do do we do commission polling now, which actually asks audiences right across the UK, different demographic groups, what are you interested in, and give a range of options. So we tend to generate a short list, and we did that this year. And again, um, nature came out on top. And what was really interesting is in in the demographics who engage with the mental health agenda, it's quite often ABC1 groups who engage with it, so slightly more well-off middle-class groups. But when we asked the question, the strongest groups in society that wanted to, to focus on nature were those CDE groups, who lower socioeconomic groups who wanted to explore how nature could explore it to support their mental health. So we, we, we look at the evidence, we, we, we ask the public, and we also have this criteria around um, really believing that mental health is a justice issue. And so it, it, even if it's really popular for lots of people, what is the angle which will um, which we can address in that theme that will address issues of inequality and justice so that we are going beyond it just being a, a, a well-being or lifestyle conversation to really being one which looks at how we can change society as we were discussing earlier. Um, so that, that, that was the deliberations for this year. The, the other thing that came into our minds, of course, Rob, is that this year is, is a very, very big year for nature and the environment. Uh, we have a big environment bill uh, as we come out of the European Union, which will shape the future of the natural world in this country and access to nature for a generation. We have the G7 coming to Cornwall in June, I think, which will be the US president's first foreign visit and nature and the environment will be on that agenda. And then we have COP26, which is the biggest climate uh, change conference for, for many years in November in Glasgow. So we, we for all of those reasons, we wanted to align um, the case for mental health and nature and add another string to the bow for those wanting to ensure that we have a sustainable 
uh, future for our planet um, and, and, and explore the, the connections with, uh, with nature and mental health. Yeah. Amazing. So there's there's a lot of strands I'd like to pick up on there. So I'm just going to try and order my order my thinking as to which one we we pick up with first, because I think we can. I'm really interested in the the, the access to nature and the environment and the inequality issues, um, the the contribution to the bigger debate of of, of you know, saving our planet and um, you know adding to that. But let, let's just go back to the kind of basics on this. Why is um, spending time in nature um, and embracing nature good for our mental health at a fundamental level yeah i mean it's uh, i think this is um is actually something which even though i've worked in mental health for the last five years has been un underestimated and um uh, in, in in my own understanding but it you know it i think there was a there was a u.s academic um in the 1980s who did a study looking at those who had had gallbladder surgery and he studied the recovery rates for those patients who had a view of nature and those who did not and he found that uh, the recovery rates for those who had just a simple view of nature rather than a brick wall uh, recovered faster were less likely to need repeat surgery um, and were also happier about their experience in hospital. And that was really, that's what really kicked off the sort of scientific discovery of impacts of the impact of nature on our mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. And since then, um, there's a whole body of research and we're going to be publishing our summary of that research during the week, looking at how nature contributes to reducing the risk to depression, reducing stress and anxiety. Um, so contributing to uh, recovery from and prevention from uh, distress and poor mental health, um, but also how it's connected to the generation of, uh, of positive emotions. So there's a lot of the there's a lot of science around the science of wonder and what what it is that connects us to that spine tingling experiences and almost all of that scientific literature is related in some way to nature it's almost as if nature has a u unique ability to connect with us and unlock um, some aspect of joy surprise and 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 and, and awe. Yeah. And that, that that's um, something that that I think has 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 not been fully un, fully understood. But um, you know, I think there are there are many people who have advanced what um, sociologists call a, a, a biophilia theory around nature, and and it is this one that for fifty thousand generations, human beings have evolved directly in in the context and lived with close proximity to nature and that we in that deep in our psyche deep in our neurology we we that luck that, that, that nature isn't sort of a luxury that you get if you happen uh, to be close to a park but but our need for nature is hardwired into what it means to be human and i think that's that's what um uh, that that's what we want to explore in the week is to what extent we can really help people reconnect with nature and find ways to do that more often and and, and then share their stories of, of the impact of that in their lives 
Yeah, fantastic. And I guess, you know, looking at the other way, those lost connections to nature in terms of the way some of us might be living in in, in cities or in, in um, you know, urban, urban environments, yeah, could, could be contributing to a, a rise in mental ill health in general terms, um, you know, or, or at least not giving us the nourishment as humans that we require because of that evolution, right? Yeah, I think I think from I think it was two thousand and eight where the where we where this human with human beings as a species moved into a majority urban context. Right. We've also obviously got the rise of um, in you've had the industrial revolution, so it's pretty five generations where where uh, significant numbers of human beings have have not lived in the natural environment either as. Um, hunter-gatherers or as farmers that's a relatively new and then in the last one generation we have the rise of digital yeah. which is consuming a huge amount of our focus and concentration and so really the the the, the sort of call the clarion call for the week is to say hey the natural world is is such a huge resource for our mental emotional lives it's it, and I, I wrote in the blog that it's almost impossible to experience good mental health without some connection to nature. Yeah. So it, it's 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 it isn't just an optional extra. It's not a nice to have. We're saying that that that, that connecting with nature and uh, we can explore that what that means. But it's re really what we're going to explore in the week is is it's what is our connection to the natural world. What does that mean to you? How is that expressed and in what ways does it affect you? But that, that has got a, a big implication for, um, for the quality of our, of, of our inner lives. Yeah, absolutely. That fundamental requirement to connect with nature. And um, you, you, you alluded to it, but what do we mean by connecting with nature? What does that mean to you, Mark? Well, one yeah, one of the things I think we've, we're going to see in in the studies that we release because we're going to release some some data on people's experiences, and of course, in the pandemic, Rob, we saw people uh, connecting with nature in, in lots of new new ways. Um, but what they reported was that they noticed nature in new ways because it was quieter, because there was a bit more space, because they weren't working in the same environments, they noticed what was around them. And then I think um, what we've seen from the studies and also the data that we'll be releasing is that it is the quality of the connection and the way you interact with nature uh, that, that, that matters. Um, and so, um, for me, that's really been about um, slowing down. Mm. Uh, it's been about engaging, asking myself about all five senses, not so much taste, but definitely what can I hear? What can I see? What can I touch? What can I smell in nature? And doing that, in a really intentional way. And I, I, I have absolutely loved uh, experiencing that. I was on a, um, a run on Monday with a couple of friends. We went through uh, a, a wood in, in it's all ancient wood on Chantry Wood um, outside Guildford. And the bluebells were out. And Rob, I defy you to find anything more beautiful in this world than an ancient wood that goes back to prehistory 
with blue bows and a sea, a, a, a sea of blue underneath uh, the canopy of the woodland. I stopped and smelt. I stopped. I stopped. I touched the bluebell. I observed it. I smelt it. I look, We stopped the run and we looked and wondered at it. And um, it's not on its own of going to. It's not a panacea, but it is. Um, it is a real gift to us that we are just encouraging people to accept that gift in new ways, mm. embrace that gift, and and and. Um, um, and I would say this is this is what I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about this because I really believe that it's not just the value of what those bluebells mean to me that's important, but that in telling our stories of how nature has affected our mental health, this is going to be the key to a movement that really protects our planet as well. Yeah. So there's two really important things that we connect with nature because it benefits us and our family. But in doing that and sharing our story, human beings, that, that is going to be the way in which we bring a huge social change to actually protecting. Because unless we value it, unless we recognize its value, unless we turn that into stories. And it was Joseph Conrad who said that it's the poets who are more influential than the scientists. <laughs> so... So it's down to all of us to tell the story of nature if we care about our natural world, if yeah, we want yeah. to see it there for our future generations, and if we want to create a, a future that is good for our mental health, let's tell the stories of what nature does for us. And I think that's the heart of the week. Fantastic. So good. Um, I, I love it. And, and you know, solve, solving two of our key problems which is the, the the mental health crisis and the environmental crisis and contributing to moving those both forward brilliant so um question for you on how workplaces can really get involved and take advantage of the theme i'm doing uh, a few things with with some of my clients to get people outside to do activities outside i've even got like a, a garden scavenger hunt i'm doing with uh, with one organization and they're logging time outside as well which is quite cool just to get people out into into nature but um how, how do you think workplaces can grab onto this mark and, and take advantage of the theme well you know the con the context is that um a lot of people out there who who are tired who are really tired over the lot and have been working remotely and one of the things that what nature can do is it, it can help us rest when you look at the neuroscience around what what's what nature does it there is definitely a lot of evidence that nature releases both dopamine dopamine and the sort of um contentment um opiates that that lead us to experience um contentment and 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 joy so i think you know, as we always say with Workplace Rob, if if you've got a culture which is causing deep levels of stress, then asking people to step out into nature, it ain't going to cut it. But if you've got a workplace committed to the productivity and joy and well-being of its of of it, of, of employees, and and um, then adding the consideration to how the natural world could be a part of working life, I think is a really interesting and important question. And, and as, as you say, we, we're we working with a, a number of companies and, and clients through uh, our own work. 
exploring that question with them, whether or not it's around uh, office design and, and how you bring the natural world into an office environment, if it's good for, because it's good for creativity, uh, it's good for um, re relaxation, but it's also, you know, it's, it's, it, it creates the conditions for collaboration. So what does it mean for the office environment? Um, and how can workplaces, as you were saying, incentivize and encourage, license and legitimize staff spending time in, in nature? So it's the message from leaders that this is that this needs to be part of our working our, our working life. And one of the things, one of the policy recommendations that we're going to be making during the week is around. Um, bringing nature into the urban environment. There's plenty of examples of city gardens and ways in which cities have been designed with nature in mind. It's not a simple choice between urban or rural. Um, and so one of the things that we want to be exploring is how city planners can 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 really build uh, well-being through uh, nature. And I think that that uh, I think has an implication for workplaces so that we can um, if we can bring that together we, 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 we won't be in a situation where employees will be scratching their heads think, thinking um, well there's nowhere there's nowhere near our office uh, where nature can be experienced yeah. and, and I'll finish with this is, is that obviously with home working it provides an opportunity like never before for people to share what's around in their local in their in their local environment or what they can do and i think we're kind of opening our homes to each other in terms of colleagues one of the things that we're really keen to explore for workplaces is is again how how people can share their experience of what's in their local environment what they're experiencing and and share that with others almost um getting the benefits of nature but also sharing uh, a little bit of their of their lives uh with their colleagues yeah, fabulous. Yeah, I love this idea of using storytelling to share those experiences, but inspiring others to to follow suit as well. So that's a great one. So final question from me, Mark. It's been really fascinating discussion. I can't wait for Mental Health Awareness Week and uh, getting stuck stuck into getting outside. Um, if you were to give one um, sort of piece of wisdom, a well-being golden nugget, we're collecting and curating a, a series of these. What would be your one bit of nugget, um, bit of wisdom that you would share? This, is, this would be, this goes right back to the beginning of our conversation about how I'm doing today. My well-being nugget would be this, that nature is a great depository to help still the fervent mind. That nature, connecting with nature can help us ground ourselves, remind ourselves that who we are is not related to our job title or any of the things we that we we try to put on our CV. And so to try, and this is my challenge, to try to use the week as well, to find that stillness, to find nature's gift in helping us find stillness in our days and help ground us. And um, uh, I think that that energy replenishment, that... Uh, ability of nature to recharge us, I think, is is something um, really valuable. 
Fantastic. Use nature's gift to find that stillness to ground ourselves. I, I love that. Um, and that's a, a wonderful note to finish on. So, Mark, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for um, sharing uh, you know, your story, but also your work and uh, the exciting Mental Health Awareness Week we've got ahead. We'll post all of the links along with this to make sure people can get involved. And um, yeah, this is the form guide. Thank you so much for joining us, Mark. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for all your work pleasure. Next up, we've got Jeff McDonald. And Jeff is uh, the person that uh, inspired me to go on this journey of being open about my own challenges. So I'm looking forward to having a, a chat with my friend Jeff. Um, in the meantime, stay well, everyone and get outside and enjoy nature. Thank you so much.